Hello and welcome back for episode 34 of the Newbie Dentist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Omid Izami. In this week's episode, I sat down with Australian dentist based out of Sydney, Australia, Dr. Johan Choi, a fantastic young dentist, uh, practice owner, and a top-notch clinician who is just producing some fantastic work. And uh, you can check him out on Instagram at uh, Dr. Johan Choi. I will tag him in the show notes. I just got back actually from Sydney, Australia this past weekend, attending a course run by Dr. Johan Choi and Dr. Brad Agrawal called BXY Stratum, a fantastic posterior and anterior hands-on composite course covering uh, layering techniques, rubber dam techniques, you know, improving your work with sectional matrices and just a lot of great tidbits that, um, you know, I was able to apply today at work. So it was quite nice to be around some young clinicians who are just doing amazing work uh, and give you something to kind of aim for. It was my first CPD event in a little while, and I must admit, I, I have come back a little bit rejuvenated and a little pumped up to, you know, get back at it and start to do some great work. Dr. Uh, David Atia was also there. Um, these young guys are Australian crew is just doing some fantastic stuff, and they're just doing really good work and, you know, really leading the way for the next generation of uh, up-and-coming Australian dentists. And for me, just to be there and, uh, you know, rub elbows with these guys was a great experience. Uh, get to, you know, ask them questions and, and you know, pick their brains on certain topics and and really learn from them so i hope you guys enjoyed this episode with dr johan Choi. uh we talk about a lot of topics including you know practice ownership clinical excellence um you know online or blended learning uh, that he's done and barat's done um in the uk at king's college uh, we talk about that course and the uh, benefits and you know pros and cons of that so I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I did. A lot of great top talking points and a lot of uh, good discussion. Uh, Dr. Uh, Johan Choi is quite uh, insightful with his answers and uh, it makes for a great podcast. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Hello and welcome to the Newbie Dentist Podcast, the safe place for newbie dentists to connect, collaborate, learn, and grow. The Newbie Dentist Podcast aims to provide high-quality and high-value content for all the newbie dentists out there. With your host, Dr. Omer Azami. Hello, so I'm here today with Dr. Yohan Choi, who's an you know, up-and-coming dentist in uh, Sydney, Australia, doing fantastic work. Uh, if you're not familiar with him, I will uh, link his Instagram page in the show notes. You know, he's really heavy into restorative dentistry and uh, does some really nice work, and I've been learning a lot. From him, and I'm excited to have him here today on the podcast to kind of dive in a little bit and uh, figure out uh, what he's been through in his early part of his career, um, the journeys that he's been on, and the experiences and uh, and things he's learned so far. So, Johan, uh, thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, it's exciting to be here with you, and uh, so I'm starting to connect with a lot of the Australian dentists, which is nice because I've uh, moved over here now. A lot of uh, you know great dentists doing great work, so it's nice to kind of. Uh, you know, get to interact with this little community and, and be involved. So if you don't mind, uh, how I normally like to start these things off is uh, just to go into a bit of an origin story by yourself, like maybe starting off from McDonald's school onwards a little bit, um, sort of what your career has been like so far, that'd be great. And we'll kind of take things from there. Okay. Well, thank you for having me on the podcast, uh, Omid. Uh, so a little bit about, about myself. Uh, yeah, I was worried for a moment that you, I thought you wanted me to, uh, you know, sort of start from my immigration story. Thank you, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so in terms of dental school, uh, you know, I studied at the University of Queensland. Um, it was, you know, five-year undergraduate degree. So I graduated quite young. And uh, yeah. I guess, you know, one of the things graduating quite young is, uh, you know, you're very naive. You don't know what the world is like. You know, you've always been a bookworm. 
you know, during high school and university, just trying to get qualified. Yeah. Um, I guess I start my story from there, really, because, you know, although I've only been practicing as a dentist for five years, I, I guess I have had, uh, you know, a diverse range of experience that have shaped how, you know, the type of practitioner and person I am today. So, you know, starting at, you know, coming out of dental school, uh, you know, never lived out of home before. Yeah. Um, you know, got a job in Sydney, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the allure of Bondi and the Sydney CBD, you know, got to me. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that I would be seeing, you know, uh, high-end cosmetic patients, you know, full mouth rehabilitations from day one, you know, very naive. Very ambitious. <laughs> um, very ambitious, yes. Um, and I guess, yeah, yeah so I, mo- I made the move down. Um, so it was, you know, a struggle in terms of, you know, uh, you know, being independent and, and, you know, going about, you know, being in this big group practice in Bondi and the Sydney CBD. And I guess that was, that was, you know, uh, the, the first step of, you know, of, of my journey, because I guess it really showed, that was the first experience in my life, which showed me that, you know, life doesn't always go to plan yeah. and it's not always, you know, favorable. So being in this group practice, you know, I'm sure, you know, you may understand that, you know, being in a big group practice is, uh, you know, can often be competitive, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of egos and, you know, I, I didn't last, you know, I, I thought it yeah. would be, you know, I, I thought it would be this amazing opportunity and it ended up being, ended up being a very, you know, enlightening experience in terms of one, I, I found out that my personality wasn't suited to working for someone. Two, you know, I determined that there's more to dentistry than just money. I wanted, you know, clinical excellence. And I, yeah. and I guess from that, it really showed me that I had to do it on my own. So, which, you know, which moves me on to the next, next part. So being a salaried dentist for the first year, I hadn't saved much. And, yeah. you know, I had suddenly made a decision that I'm going to go into a, you know, I'm going to have my own practice. <laughs> nice. Right. So, so still being naive, you know, I approached all the banks, um, said, you know, will anyone, uh, you know, will anyone lend me half a million dollars to buy a practice? Um, and suddenly I ended up where I am now, you know, Canada Bay Dental, um, in Breakfast Point in Sydney. Um, so it's really nice in a little retirement village type, you know, suburb. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, and I guess that was, you know, number two naive decision, um, you know, <laughs> buying a practice when one, you know, I think, you know, if you look at the Dunning-Kruger effect, you know, I was still on this, you know, the upward curve <laughs> yeah. on the way up to Mount Stupid. <laughs> uh, and I thought I was invincible, top of the world, yeah. bought a practice and you get in and you've got huge repayments to pay the bank. Um, you know, clinically, you find out very quickly that you're not as good as you think you are. Yeah. Um, and suddenly you've got this huge uphill, you know, battle of building a practice. So I guess, you know, the, the, uh, the last four years since then, um, have since having the practice have been, you know, very geared around dentistry and you know building a business and trying to learn as much as possible and i think that does that has really encouraged me and pushed me to learn as much as i can because one of the things that i did find you know uh in, in the early stages was you know in dental school you're you're competing amongst your peers and you know you may be one of the high you know high achieving students but once you graduate and once you're in the actual dental profession you can no longer really compare yourself to just your immediate peers yeah. suddenly those colleagues who have 10 15 20 years experience you're on the same level as them so technically you should be able to offer a similar level of professionalism you it's know you should you should it. yeah yeah you, when you look at it and so for me that was a huge amount of pressure and also having that added pressure of having a practice was was huge for me but um you know, I guess that's that. Yeah, without you know, sort of going on for too long and boring all of you, no, all of you listening. That gives us uh, a lot of talking points. That's really quite impressive. So, how old? Like you're about 21, 22 when you finished up dental school then. 
You're 22. Yeah. 22. So I'm always envious of 22. you guys um, who did the undergrad sort of model because it just like your career is that much longer. And when you graduate, you don't have like, so I was, um, you know, I was 20, 28 when I graduated. So it's like, it's a different life stressors when you're like 28 versus 22. Like you got to like get married and like buy a house and like all this stuff. So all that stuff is like more compounded onto you. But I think when you're still in your early part of your twenties, mm-hmm. um, you still have like that little bit of buffer where you can kind of like be a bachelor and just like focus on your profession or, or have some fun, uh, whichever yeah. kind of path you mm-hmm. decide to go on. So you worked for one year and then you bought a practice. Is that right? Pretty much. So maybe a little bit over a year. So, uh, yeah. So I worked one full year and then I worked at the practice that I bought for four months before I decided, hey, I'm going to do this. Yeah. And I bought and I ended up buying the practice at the age of, I would have been 20, 24 24. at that stage. What was that process like in terms of, um, you know, handling staff? I'm sure they're all older than you and all like, you're like the baby in the group, but you're the boss all of a sudden. So how does that, how is that uh, kind of transition like for you? So I guess, you know, part of being, I, I think although being naive, I didn't go into this, you know, completely blind. Um, you know, I, I talked to, you know, some of my mentors and some of my friends who had already, you know, had practices before. And, you know, one conscious decision that I had made was to get rid of the existing staff. Because yeah. I knew that if I kept them on, that I wouldn't be able to stamp my foot down and do it my way, especially being, you know, a young 23, 24-year-old, yeah. um, you know, in this practice and i and i knew the staff culture at this new practice as well since i had worked there for a few months and i knew that this was not a culture that i wanted to you know uh, spread through my business um so having said that yeah you know one of the you know we we got rid of the staff we hired new staff and you know look what we you know that's another lesson we've learned you know hiring <laughs> staff is is so difficult yeah um you know i think that's that's a huge discussion that you could have as well but yeah essentially that's where we started um you know and es- essentially we started off we bought a a practice grossing 300k in the first year um and you know this year we're on track for 1.5 within wow. four years of ownership amazing so it's so it's i think we've been very lucky in our journey um that we've been able to maintain you know we've, well, we've tried to maintain a high quality of uh, you know clinical dentistry whilst also trying to make sure it's financially viable because you know yeah. i think people don't understand you know you, you, the 1.5 million figure is you know perhaps impressive after four years yeah however you know, the next question you should ask me is how much of that do you get to take home? You know, running, pra- <laughs> running a practice is not as, yeah, not as, as, expensive. as it would seem. Yeah, yeah. very expensive. Yeah. So you're talking about, uh, so you grew the practice from roughly $300,000 you said to, you know, on track for like 1.5 million, which is really impressive. So obviously there's a few angles I want to kind of approach here and kind of one is clinical, one is kind of business. So let's talk about the business side of it first a little bit, if you don't mind. So like you were just saying, um, the overhead uh, and the expenses of running a practice are, are quite quite steep. So what's that growth been like for you? Do you have associates working with you right now or is it just you producing all the dentistry in the practice? So we've got, so I've actually got two practices now. I have a business partner as well. Nice. Um, yeah. So the set, so uh, yeah, that's the other thing that I didn't mention. You know, number three, my decision was deciding, hey, we can do this. Let's buy another practice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So without getting into that too much, yes. So now we've got we've got two or three associates. One of them is actually leaving us, so we need to find a new one. Actually, so yeah. any of the viewers, any of the listeners of your podcast who want a job, please contact me. Yeah, uh, that'd be a great job. I'd, I'd fly over. <laughs> <laughs> no, you'd be too good for us. <laughs> no, but um, yeah. So yeah, uh, you know, based on that, yeah, we've, where we've grown from just being the two of us at the beginning to make it viable. Uh, my business partner, David, and I actually had to maintain part-time jobs elsewhere 
Yeah. Because initially, a very, you know, a very real thing most owners have to go through in the initial stages of where your practice income will not cover your overheads. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in the big cities like Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane, because, you know, 300K, you know, yes, you know, if you get that in your pocket, that's a lot of money. However, when it comes to covering practice overhead, you know, your practice overhead rent alone is probably 100K for the year. Yeah. And staff wages are probably another, you know, 50 to 100K a year. And then it yeah. just all adds up and then there's nothing for you to take home. So, yeah, um, yeah so that, that's, that's been a huge learning, you know, journey for us over the, over the years. That's good, yeah. but it seems like you guys are doing really well with it. So in terms of clinical side of things, then I know it's, it's often uh, tricky when you're, want clinical excellence. Um, so you want to spend the time with the patients. You want to spend the time doing the procedures properly. That kind of contradicts the business side of it where you're trying to maybe be a quicker, uh, more efficient, more income coming in. How does that, how did that balance kind of work out for you early on in the, in, in the process? I think for us, we, we were, you know, being quiet initially was all, was both a blessing, um, you know, and a curse because obviously, you know, if, as you said, you know, you want to see more patients, you want to see them more, you know, you want to see them quickly. Um, to increase your production. Uh, however, being quiet in the beginning really afforded us the time to just spend the time with our patients yeah. to get to know them on a human level and to, uh, you know, and, and to do good clinical dentistry, you know, in, you know, without any time limits. Now it's a bit of a different story. And I think it's really about keeping it balanced. For me personally, you know, I, I don't really, you know, while taking a step back, I think clinical excellence in you know in that facebook standard the social media standard is not mandatory to do well on a daily basis yeah okay so even when i have associates the last thing that i stress on them is to get it up to a facebook standard you know i think when it comes to the nuts and bolts of real dentistry you know it it doesn't really matter if you've got that you know that mesiobuckle fissure on your upper six you know perfectly (laughs) crisp with tint in it yeah what really matters (laughs) is that the occlusion is right. It's sealed well. There's no pain, right? And the patient was comfortable during the experience. You know, that's yeah. pretty much it. So as long, you know, I, I, that, and that's the thing, you know, I think for me as well, you know, going through my perception of dentistry has changed. Um, and, you know, back to, you, back to your question, really. Um, yes, it, it is. It is. I think, it, I think it comes down to having a balance. You know, I still find that you know I I you know manage my practice in a way where I still charge quite high fees to make sure that I am adequately compensated for my time. Yeah. And I think most of my patients now, you know, that come to see me now come to me because they know that I will spend the time with them. And your patient base ultimately changes to reflect the type of practitioner you are. But you could easily make more money by you know maybe perhaps lowering the standard. You know, not in terms of true clinical standard yeah. but on this on the scale of facebook dentistry uh, artistic dentistry yeah. Really, yeah yeah pretty much and, and you could still do a really good job you know patient will be happy and you'll be a really good practitioner i think that's what you know your young listeners really have to understand that you know that on facebook and social media and you know instagram as well it's it's a lot of it is smoke and mirrors yeah for sure i think that's yeah. something that i'm struggling i mean i in my mind, I feel like I've been out for ages. I just feel like I've just been working for like a lifetime, but it's only been, it's only been less than two years now that I've been working. And I'm always like struggling with that back and forth. Like when I, when I see like great work on like Instagram and Facebook, and then I look at like my MOD and I'm like, why doesn't it look that good? Even though like I got a contact, the occlusion is good. Patients always never like a complaint, but deep down, like inside, I'm like, I feel like I'm always like lacking something. So that's a great point. I just made for like new clinicians that 
being functional and pain-free and you know, comfortable for the patient is good dentistry. It's not like it's bad dentistry. Um, just because it's not like an artistic sort of thing that you're putting on Instagram or Facebook um, with the, you know, occlusal tints and like staining and stuff like that. Uh, a lot of patients would even look exactly. at that and be like, why is my tooth dirty? I thought it was like a new filling or something. So, um, so I think it's like... Have you, have you, actually, have you actually ever have you actually ever had a patient say that to you? I've heard it, but I haven't, uh, not personally, I've just heard like anecdotes from like other people. I actually have had it said to me before. Yeah. And so, um, you know, and it was only, it was probably two months ago. Yeah. Um, you know, I inserted, I inserted a, a Lissy press onlay for a patient. You know, it was fully documented, perfect rubber dam each step. You know, the onlet prep was probably one of the best preps I'd done in my life. <laughs> you know, the ceramic came back. My ceramist had done an amazing job with the ceramic. And I thought, hey, this, this is amazing. You know, yeah. everything's going to plan. And I inserted it. Patient was happy. I'd insert uh, to review just to check that everything was fine. Patient complains and goes, "Why did you make my tooth dirty?" Yeah, right. So I, I think you know, which brings us on to that next point, which is really you know, I think you know, based on that functional versus artistic social media dentistry, patients don't care about that. Yeah, you know, patients really care about the function of it. And who are you trying to impress, really? You know, are you, are you is your goal in life to impress other dentists? Yeah, you know. Or, you know, and, and that's, I think that's a never-ending path. I think that's a, that's a path set up for insecurity, um, anxiety, and, you know, unhappiness. Yeah. But I think we should, you know, our number one focus should be, yes, let's, let's make our patients happy. Let's make sure that we can increase the longevity of the treatment for our patients the most. And then if you can also do some artistic stuff to give you some professional satisfaction on the side without taking too much out of your normal clinical life, then I think that's beneficial. That's great advice. And I think, you know, that, and I think that's why Barrett and I, and I think he was on your podcast last week. Yeah. Um, Barrett, Barrett and I really want to, you know, that's why we've said, hey, let's, you know, we may be, you know, a bit more inexperienced, but let's go and run this course, you know, because we're running this course and you'll be coming to the December one. I mean, yeah, I've heard. That was, that was a nice yeah. offer. I'm uh, excited to come see and learn from you guys, actually. So what's the course called? I think it's, it's going to be a posterior anterior hands-on composite course. Is that right? Yes. So it's, it's uh, Barrett came up with the name Stratum in terms of, you know, stratification. Um, yeah. And I know that may sound fancy and difficult, but what we really wanted is, you know, and I think the way we will differentiate ourselves is that these are techniques that we are using in normal private practice. Yeah. Techniques that don't aren't going to take four to five hours of your time for a single restoration. These are techniques, you, it might take you a little bit longer, but once you become familiar with them, they are techniques you can use day in, day out. Yeah, you know, um, and yeah, and you know, simple, simple recipes where you're not spending an hour figuring out the shade. You know, it's from our experiences with the materials we've used. You know, we'll be talking about, hey, you know, within this color range, if you use these combination of shades without even looking at the tooth, you'll be fine. You know, it will camouflage in and you'll look fine. And I think it's just little tips there and there. We're not, we're not there to teach you the world's most artistic, artistic style Italiano, you know, filling. Yeah. You know, we're there to teach you, hey, it's going to look pretty good. It's going to function really well and you'll both be professionally satisfied and your patients will be left with a really good product as well. So, um, yeah, we're looking forward to having you there. That's excellent. I'm excited. I think yeah. going forward, I see this as more of the model for like CPD courses where, you know, you don't necessarily need to have like the foremost world expert coming to teach you like how to do a composite. I think it's, it's more practical, if anything, just to have, you know, someone with a little bit more experience who's doing a day in, day out, um, who can relate to kind of the, the time pressures or 
uh, material, like resources available and just teach you like a practical way of kind of doing things. I think I'm excited. I think I'm going to learn a lot. And I think that's what we're trying to kind of do as well with like our uh, study club that we're running, some of the lectures that we're doing, trying to create a more small, like collegial environment where people can come and, you know, share advice and, and techniques and kind of learn from each other. So another thing I would kind of, you know, when I speak to people like you, I kind of get motivated and inspired because, you know, for such a short span of a career so far, you've accomplished so much, uh, you know, clinically and business wise. Tell me, like, you know, kind of shifting to more to the, cl- to the clinical side of things. Um, obviously, you, you mentioned you start off and you're in a bit of a group practice. So I assume you had, did you have some mentorship in that, in that year and a bit that you were working that group practice? Or were you kind of just thrown into the deep end and kind of had to fend for yourself? Uh, yeah, look, I think I've never really had a true mentor in my career, um, which, which I, you know, which I regret. You know, I think partially, you know, perhaps that, that came down to circumstances, yeah. um, you know, throughout my career, but also probably came down to me not being proactive enough to find, you know, a mentor who would mentor me. You know, I, I think that also came down to the fact that I, I as, a, as a young grad, and I think, you know, this may be true for a lot of young grads, that we aren't truly prepared to listen. Yeah, that's tough. You, yeah. You know, a lot of us, I think we think we know it all. And it's only from failure and or perhaps, you know, uh, you know, well, maybe not failure, but perhaps unfavorable experience where you learn that, hey, maybe I am, you know, maybe I'm not as good as I am. <laughs> yeah. That I think I am. And, you know, perhaps I should, you know, really start listening from other people. So, yeah, to answer your question, no, I, I didn't really have a mentor, but I was very fortunate to make a very close friend who had been out for a couple more years than I were, than I was at the time when I, in my first job. We're yeah. still very good friends friends today. Um, you know, we both we're we're both not in that practice anymore, but we still try and catch up. Um, but he, you know, he was probably you know I, I say I said that I, I never really had a proper mentor, but he was probably the closest thing to a mentor that I had at the time. Yeah. Okay, and you know he so he would teach me little tricks and tips that he picked up along his journey because uh, he he didn't really have a mentor either. So it was a very similar model where he probably had got tips from people who were a bit more experienced than he he was yeah. and then he passed those tips on to me so it was you know how to get your rubber dam t- you know tucked in a certain way or how to lay your composite a little way and then from that those things i did a bit of experimentation and figured out the best way for me mm-hmm. so I, so i think you know that also then brings us back to what you know what what i really want to do and you know as you said before it's i think the model will change where you know you don't need the world expert coming in because what a lot of these world experts show you it's not possible in daily clinical practice. Yeah. I don't think people understand what actually goes in to, te- to making one of these cases. You know, recently I had a, I had a case published uh, with GC and Henry Shine. Um, and, you know, to put into perspective, you know, because, you know, look, I, I, I don't want people to be under any illusions. That case probably took twice as long as, because I knew it was going to get documented. Yeah. Uh, it took me twice as long to do it, right? Um, I've probably ended up taking 200 photos for a single central anterior tooth yeah okay and at the end in the publication only nine photos get selected yeah does that does that make sense i appreciate the honesty because i think i think that's something that's lost on a lot of people right we'll we'll scroll through instagram and like how is every every case everyone does perfect like all the time and you don't realize like like you said you take hundreds of photos and like the lighting is just perfect on the one and you just pick that one and you post it so i think it's it's really it's nice of nice to hear like the back the background of what goes into these little cases that get publicated. So taking photography is great because I think one is obviously you can, you know, document your work and you can 
um, show and share to people to learn. But also, it's, it's nice if you're going to be critical of your own work. If you take photos and you can, because like so many times I'll do something, like I'll do like an onlay um, or like a filling, and then I, I take some pictures, I come home and then I put it on my iPad and I blow it up and zoom in. And it looks like terrible. I'm like, man, like, <laughs> I thought it was like so good. And then you come home and you zoom in and you're like, man, that's like some, that's not great work. So um, it's I nice to have that feedback like yourself that. and to be competitive with yourself. Yeah. I think that's like the more healthier way than to, um, like you said earlier, trying to compete with other people and trying to like beat other people. I think that's like the kind of the better approach. Yeah, you make, you make a really good point because I think a lot of the times when people get into photography, they, I think they get into it for the wrong reasons. A lot of people get into it for the reason of, hey, I think I'm good, so I'm going to start taking photos so I can start showing off to my peers. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's, and, and I think if you go into it with that mentality, you'll soon find out that there is someone better than you. Yeah. You know, so you, and, and I think it's very disheartening to find out that, you know, it's that you're not as good as you thought you were. And, you know, so I think, you know, if, if you are planning on taking photography of your work, you know, you need, to do, you need to do it for the right reasons. I think it is somewhat mandatory now, um, you know, in this day and age to take photographs both from a documentation and medical legal standpoint, but also from the, you know, standpoint of just, yeah, as you said before, it's, it's the perfect way to improve. You know, when, when new grads come up to me and say, hey, what's the one tip that you can tell me on how to improve? Yeah. You know, the, the first tip is buy a camera. Don't buy a car. <laughs> Yeah. Don't use your first paycheck to go and buy a car. Buy a DSLR camera. It doesn't have yeah. to be expensive. Just buy a camera. Learn how to use it. If you have any questions, come ask me. Um, but start documenting your work. It, you know, and it's not because you you know you want to document all your fancy work. It's about you know knowing how you know um, did I put that you know sectional matrix in properly, mm -hmm. you know, and and that and looking back on your steps. If you get a subpar result at the end, looking through your steps will tell you where you went wrong and That's how right. you can improve for the for the next you know for the next case so i think it's just about trying to be better every day and being the best that you can mm -hmm. um so yeah that's great. So in terms of uh, continuing on with the clinical sort of uh, pathway a little bit uh tell me a little bit about when you feel like in your you know you've been out for 5 years now you've been working when was there like that biggest growth that you experienced was it like from year 1 to year 2 was it the first 6 months when did you feel like Okay, I've I've started to like be on a growth trajectory now. I'm like getting new techniques. I'm I'm executing it nicely, um, and I'm happy with the results. Uh, so you so your question is when did I start feeling as yeah? When did you feel I like you're, what I was doing? you're clinically like improving a lot? Like when did you notice like a a, a noticeable difference? Well, I, I think it's it's yeah, that that question I think can be you know I think it depends on your perspective, right? I think it depends on whether you're answering that question in hindsight. Yeah. or in terms of foresight yeah yeah because when you look in foresight you always think that i still have room to grow and i still have so much room to grow so my biggest growth is going to come later on yeah um now having had a couple of years behind me and if i look at that question in hindsight i think every year there has been massive growth because mm -hmm. you may not realize it at the time and you know i think a lot of people trying to measure their growth in terms of uh you know uh, you know, in, in terms of, hey, have I learned how to place implants this year? Have I learned how to do, you know, cosmetic, you know, cosmetic, you know, uh, dentistry in terms of indirect restorations? You know, I, so I think we categorize our learning a lot. Yeah. But my massive growth, I feel like, you know, for the first two years of my career, all I focused on was direct restorations and being a good, you know, doing the bread and butter well. Okay. So, 
you know, you, people, you know, from, if you, you know, from my perspective, I felt as though I had massive growth in those first two years because going from someone, you know, where I, I thought I was doing good composite restorations back <laughs> in uni, but I quickly found out that they were atrocious. Yeah. And you know, going from someone who could do an, a crap filling to an acceptable filling by year two, you know, I thought that was a huge level of growth. Now, if you look at that in the perspective of, hey, I didn't learn how to do ortho, I didn't learn how to place implants, you know, the growth may have not been that significant. But for me personally, I felt, hey, I know how to do the bread and butter well. Yeah. I have the basics down pat. I think I'm ready to pursue some more advanced learning. And that's when uh, I started my master's degree uh, in my third year um, because I felt as though I wanted some sort of structured learning to, you know, to really upgrade my dentistry. That's great. Um, I wanted to ask you about that because I know um, obviously you're doing that program. Uh, Brad's also done a similar thing um, through the UK as well. Uh, what was that decision process like for you in terms of, uh, first of all, like to go through that, like the sort of the online distance learning, which I think is great. I think it's way more practical than maybe tra- the traditional specializing, especially nowadays for you know a lot of the listeners who are uh, you know based in North America with the crazy tuition expenses and everything. Um, like to go through dental school and be like a couple hundred thousand dollars in debt um, and then to go back to like, you know, get a prosthodontist residency or perio residency. So you're not working one and then you're incurring more debt to kind of go through like the whole specialty training. Obviously the, uh, the masters that you guys are going through is not, it's not cheap, but I think it enables you to still work, which is nice. First of all, I'll just go through like what that decision-making process was in terms of, uh, what sort of program. And so, and then just uh, share your experiences if you don't mind of what it's been like. Cause I, it's something that after meeting you, you two guys, it's kind of motivated, motivated me and I've been kind of reading up on them a little bit. Cause I think it's been quite useful for you guys and it's helped your growth a lot. Um, and I think I always try and, you know, find successful people and try and just like emulate what they're doing. So, uh, if you don't mind for some people who may not be familiar with these sort of, uh, uh masters of science programs, uh, just share your experiences and your decision-making process. That would be great. So, so I guess it came down to uh, so you know, let's let's start it from the beginning where uh, you know at, after my first two years I, I had I'd, I'd still done a lot of CPD during those two years yeah. and what you quickly find out the more CPD you do is that most lecturers have an agenda yeah right some courses are not very good um, you know despite what you know what reviews they may get or you know how they are advertised and so my my decision making process you know really came down to hey. You know, I want to upgrade my clinical dentistry and take it to the next level. Um, however, I want to do that in a structured environment. And I think the safeguard for me at the time was that, hey, if it's done through a reputable institution, then, yeah. you know, it's going, it, it'll have to be at least to a, you know, a somewhat good standard that will be structured. And, you know, yes, uh, you know, and yes, it may be very academic, but at least, you know, it'll be structured and it'll be evidence-based and, you know, proper you know, accepted dentistry. So I guess that was a reason for me to do it. Um, in terms of your question, uh, you know, when it comes when it came to doing a full time specialty residency versus um, my MQIN dent program through Kings, um, you know, time wise, probably you know a specialty program would take you less time because my my MQIN dent program is four years versus you know a pros program. I'm as as far as I'm aware is three years. That's right. Um, yeah. Yes. I guess, you know, the contact hours are completely different. So, you know, kudos to those, you know, pros residents out there slaving away in the labs in the clinics. <laughs> but for me, I guess, you know, if I had the opportunity, I would have loved to go off and specialize, um, you know, all the way. But for me, I, at that time, I already had two practices. Yeah. I mean, so I was not in a position to, uh, you know, to go off and specialize. I needed something that would afford me flexibility where I could study in my own time um, mm. and, you know, get to that level that I wanted to 
to get to. I think, yeah, as you said, you know, these they I think you know these distance learning or as Kings like to call it, they call it blended learning because it's not completely just distance. Yeah, I think it, it's it's a perfect mix because. I think that in this age of, you know, where everyone is so connectable, you know, where we can have a, this conversation so easily, you know, online, you know, it's, it's, you know, you don't need someone to hold your hand 24 hours, 24 seven, yeah. you know, if you have recommended reading and you have your coursework, then you can easily get through that in your own time. But yes, you do need contact time in the clinics, in the sim labs going over procedures. So you can try them out on, you know, on phantom heads first before yeah. you go and take it out to your patients. And the other thing as well is that, you know, these courses, because they they ask you, or you're required to, uh, you know, submit documented cases, you, you're always documenting. And I think that's where the next, you know, sort of, uh, you know, the next that's source right. of growth really comes from. The, the, I think the other thing, though, is, you know, the, the silver lining, the caveat to all of what I've said is this. I think you need to really go into it with the right mentality because I think regardless of whether it's a distance learning or, a, you know, or, or a, you know, actual specialty residency, you know, at universities, I think the problem is, is that, you know, different, you know, it's very different to undergrad in terms of they're not there to spoon feed you anymore. Yeah. You know, you've got your mandatory coursework, but then you've got your recommended reading and then you've got your extra reading. And, you know, some of the advice that I had gotten before I got into the course from previous, you know, previous graduates and having, you know, now in my, you know, uh, three, you know, being three quarters of the way through my program, the thing you quickly realize is that you only get out of this, you only get out from this degree what you put in. Yeah. So if you're going to do it and you don't have much time, you don't have enough time to invest into you know the actual study, you're not going to get much out of it. You'll be a slightly better dentist, but <laughs> you know no one's going to say, "Hey, you should read more of this or read more of that." Yeah. You know, it's it's pretty easy to pass. You just need to know the basics of pass, but to be, you know, it's not going to make you the world's most amazing dentist. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And I think that's what some people struggle. That's what most, that's what a lot of people struggle with. So for example, in my degree, you know, when I first started this, we had 30 people from around the world do mm -hmm. it. Um, now in my third year, going on to my fourth year, I think we have 15. So 50% so drop Awesome people, some attrition there. <laughs> I think that's tough. I think a lot of people maybe started off with like good intentions and then like life gets in the way and it's, and not having those like set contact hours, I think yeah, some personalities may not cope well with that. And I think that's not like something that I might be like be a struggle for me to like be okay from like Monday, Wednesday, Thursday nights. I'm gonna spend three hours like each night kind of doing it because I need to be a little bit more regimented yeah. and have some like accountability to like actually follow through with it. Unless like I post about it, yeah. and, like I have to be like from this time to this time I'm gonna study and then like I have to kind of follow through with it, which is. Uh, Sad, but I think that's the way it is. Um, so you're doing uh, you're, mas masters of clinical dentistry in is it remove fixed and removable prosthetics? Is that the, the yes, subject? Yes, that's yeah. yeah. So what made you pick that over like some of the other like like aesthetic dentistry or um, like other like subjects that they pr um, provide as well? I, I think I look at the the you know the modules, uh, the learning modules, and and I think you know I also then looked at my demographic. I think there's no point going off and doing CPD. Or uh, you know, or, or further, you know, uh, you know, uh, postgraduate training in an area which you're not going to utilize in your practice. That's very smart. So I, I, yeah. So I looked at my demographic, um, you know, and I looked at my demographic, and most of my patients are late, like mid to later in life. Mm -hmm. So from my perspective, you know, those patients probably aren't as interested in aesthetics. Although I think aesthetics is something you know that we should all be aiming for. But most of these people are looking at long-term dentistry where, you know, they may need, you know, rehabilitation or, 
you know, maintenance of teeth that have been, you know, mutilated through life or, you know, been damaged through life. Yeah. And so I think that's what, you know, really prosthodontics covers. And, you know, this, this program is not going to help you treat absolutely every single case that walks through your door. But, you know, I, I just wanted something that was structured that would really help me approach these patients in a very evidence-based way, um, you know, in a way that, you know, and in, in where I could feel confident that I was really truly doing a service to my, to my patients. That's great. And what's been the, so obviously you're, you're doing the program right now. So you're kind of working your way through it. Has it been applicable like directly right away? Like from when you started the course, are you able to like apply things that you're learning in the course in your like day-to-day practice? Yeah. So I think as, as once you, so basically a lot of the stuff that you'll learn by yourself over, you know, the learning modules and things like that, a lot of that is, you know, it's knowing the reason behind why you might do something in terms of the techniques that you, you you'll come and actually employ in your practice, you'll need to wait for your you know your contact time at London in London. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, that you know I, I guess if I can remember back, my first contact residency um, over at King's, you know, you go over you know the dial effect. So that's very useful for treating localized anterior wear. Um, you talk about, you know, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of us already probably know how to use an articulator and, you know, assess occlusion well, but, you know, one of the topics is, you know, knowing how to mount your castle on articulator accurately, um, going through the occlusal analysis and knowing which patients you might have to deprogram or, you know, whether this patient might need a reorganize or a conformed, you know, occlusal scheme. Um, so I, I think, yeah, you know, as soon as you start learning those things throughout your course, obviously I think, you know, you, you know, you need to become confident with what you've learned but you know there are many techniques there that you can actually employ um you know in That's your great. practice so how often in the in the whole program do you have to fly over and and have some like uh, direct contact hours so so with the king's program you've probably got uh you've got two weeks you've got a two-week residency every year so that's so you've essentially got about four, uh, around 14 days non-stop at london going through and long days you know we're talking mm-hmm. about eight to six most days yeah. um just going through you've got some lectures but you mostly you're in the sim clinic you'll be prepping teeth going through different prep designs rationale for prep design that sort of thing mm-hmm. um so yeah those two weeks but i find that those two weeks are all that you really need because you'll come back and then you'll apply those things on your patients yeah no it's great sounds very uh, yeah sounds appealing so overall would you recommend for people to like look into these kind of uh, training options uh what's your overall verdict on it very hard look i I think (laughs) you know based based on what i've said look look at what you you know look at what you what type of person you are um you know as i've said you need to you know be driven you need to be you know you need to be able to independently motivate yourself and i guess it depends on you know you you be prepared to be disappointed on how literature-based and evidence-based it is because there's going to be a lot of study at times you may feel as though a lot of what you're learning is irrelevant you know if all you're interested in is so you know let me back it up by saying if all you're interested in is is learning clinical hands-on techniques don't do it yeah because just go off and do you know like the you know the smithson mac masterclass and you know anterior posterior indirect restorations or do a hands-on course elsewhere and you'll probably pick up the same hands-on tips it's just that you probably may not be as a well-rounded clinician in terms of understanding the literature behind why you do a certain thing yeah Mm-hmm. that makes sense i think that's good too yeah. yeah you need a lot of reflection i think um, i'm still in that same boat too if i the way the the model of dentistry is going if, if you're not going to be owning your own practice like you said and being able to practice like the way you want to practice 
if you're an associate elsewhere and and you're kind of you know doing like you know 30 minute exams and like clean like it, the the type of dentistry you're doing needs to like you said you have to be seeing your demographics and the type of practice that you're working in and then decide yeah. if if adding this knowledge is going to change the way you're like able to practice within that setting so um i think being your own boss and having your own practice is definitely necessary step if you want to do things like the right way in your way i think so um i think you have to kind of weigh up and see which one you want to get to first like learn the dentistry first and then open a practice or open the practice and then like grow into that practice like by like, becoming yeah. a clinician so um so tell me a little bit about um obviously you touched on a little bit about the course that you guys are running so we've talked about the past a little bit let's talk about the future uh for a few minutes before we kind of wrap up so what's like your sort of like short-term plans for the next like five years like clinically uh business-wise within dentistry Look, I think if I can just keep doing what I'm doing at a similar level of growth, I will be very happy, uh, you know, both clinically and business-wise. Look, end of the day, I think, you know, I think the hardest thing is to at least maintain what you're doing. So, you know, so for me, it'll just be, you know, going to work every day, focusing on you know, being the best, you know, clinician and businessman that I can be. Um, I think probably the new thing that I, I would like to concentrate on over the next couple of years is probably really focusing on maybe seeing if I can get some cases published, um, you know, in perhaps in some journals as well. Um, really just trying to elevate that clinical dentistry, but and also, you know, working with my good friends, uh, you know, to really share what we've learned. You know, you know, I personally have probably spent over, you know, over $200,000 on, on professional education in the past, you know, four to five years. Mm-hmm. So I've spent a lot. I, I, I've done some great CPD, I've done some, you know, really bad CPD. And I, I think it's, you know, as you can hopefully, you know, you've really felt from this podcast today that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a no BS type of person. You know, I, I say it how it is. The backlash I'll deal with later, but I'll just <laughs> say it I'll say it how yeah. it is. Yeah. So I really want to give people, you know, especially young graduates, and, that, and that's what I've, you know, that's what I'm really passionate about. You know, I, I really want to set up, you know, as you said, with, with your community as well. You know, one thing that I've always felt is, you know, I was a bit disappointed with the, you know, the culture within our profession. Yeah, know, for sure. Over, you know, yeah. And I, I think it's, you know, I think it's very difficult for us to change the culture amongst, you know, dentists who have been out for a long time. But I think we can really change the culture for people coming after us, you know, mm-hmm. really have a collegial feel, um, you know, where, you know, perhaps we're not, you know, I, I think, you know, we shouldn't be competitive with each other. There is enough work out there for all of us and really have a community where we're helping each other. Um, you know, to grow and, you know, be a really united, you know, united front. Yeah. Um, so I guess, you know, having that, you know, having said that, I think, you know, in order for, you know, in, order, in order for me to contribute to that mission, you know, into, to, some, to, a, to somewhat of a degree, I think it's really, you know, for us, it's running a simple course, um, you know, trying to build a community um, of like-minded individuals where we can really openly share uh, and, you know, and, and tell them how it really is. None of this, yeah. you know, none of the stuff where I can do this in 30 minutes and have this perfect <laughs> restoration, yeah. but, you know, this is what went into getting, you know, documenting this case, but you may be able to do this to achieve a similar level of work in an actual reasonable amount of time in yeah. you know, clinical practice. And look, who knows what the future will tell us, you know, you know, I, I, I wish I had a crystal ball to say, hey, this is what I'll be doing <laughs> in a couple of years. Yeah. But, you know, but really, I think it's going to come down to, you know, you know, really, you know, just having that mentality of, you know, sharing, you know, trying to build that community. Um, you know, if, if anyone ever wants to ask me questions on Instagram about, you know, cases or what they should be doing, I'm more than happy to help. Um, or, you know, get, you know, if they want to email me or contact me, I'm more than happy to help anytime. So, yeah, I think it's, you know, we can, you know, both you and I, I think we're in a position to really help people um, and to really grow this community, don't you think? 
That's great. I love that. I think, you know, my, my wife's a, a physician. So what I sort of envy about their, their, how their workplace is, is the environment that they're in. They're always around other doctors. They're always like, you know, there's a good banter. There's the community feel they have each other's backs. Conversely with dentistry, I think, you know, one is like most of us work in isolation. So we're in a practice by ourselves. So you don't really have anyone to kind of bounce ideas off. And then even then we, once we connect, there's so much like com- competition, um, you know, within Australia, like the groups like DPR and stuff, there's always a lot of banter on there and it's not always positive. So I feel like yeah. people get, people share a case and goodwill trying to get some feedback. And then like the community is not great. The way that people interact is necessarily, like you said, the older generation is maybe not great. So I think if, if our generation, what we can do, uh, maybe our mark on, on dentistry will be changing that mindset, you know, into a growth mindset where everyone's kind of more supportive. Um, and people feel like they're part of the community instead of just like competing with the guy down the road. I think that'd be a, a great thing if we can actually, you know, make that happen and, and make that change. I think it'll change the profession for the better. Yeah, I think it's about, you know, as, as you said, it's, yeah, uh, you know, I think we have to be innovative. You know, there, there are, I think, uh, what, last census data showed, what, 22 to 24 million people in Australia. Yeah. You know, and I, I think there are enough, I think there are <laughs> in more than enough people in Australia to support the number of dentists they are. Mm-hmm. But I think rather than focusing on what the guy beside you is doing and how to steal his work, I think it's really going to come down to being innovative, you know, improving access to dental care for people. You know, as I said, not everyone has to be doing, you know, social media dentistry. There is, there are all facets of dentistry and you've got to find out, you know, you've got to really find out what type of dentistry suits you. And, you know, it's just about being innovative and delivering that care in, you know, in, in new ways. So I think, yeah. you know, it's exciting times ahead. I think, you know, we've, you know, as young people, you know, we have to be imaginative, you know, we've got to, you know, and, and I think by be, doing that, you know, we can really change the culture and hopefully, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to, you know, see what, you know, what's in future for our profession in, you know, 10, 20 years time. So yeah, for yeah. sure. I think it's exciting. There's, like, there's so many changes, like you said, like technology is improving. We can get more efficient maybe with things as, as the, the incorporation of technology into like the workplace and workflow kind of improves a little bit as well. Um, and I think one of the bigger things I think is I always tell patients is, you know, when you have the patients who are like maybe 70 and they come in and when they're like, oh, when I was a kid, like the dentist had their knee on my chest and they're like taking teeth out without like anesthesia and stuff. I think as we're, as dentistry is improving, um, patient experience is improving. So I think like kind of the generations going forward, that kind of anxiety and fear might be subsiding a little bit too, which is nice. Cause I think uh, like if people are happy to come see you, it affects your mood. And I think it's like one of the things that maybe dislike about dentistry is as soon as someone sits down, like, Oh, I hate the dentist. I hate being here. And I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> Let me just do my work now. And like, so I think if yeah, the yeah. patient side of things improves a little bit too, I think our, we'll be happier in the workplace. And I think that that'll improve things. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. Um, so what I would like to do usually um, to wrap up is just go, go through a quick rapid fire just to lighten things up and to wrap up that way. So yeah. what's your uh, what's your favorite pizza topping? Pizza topping? Oh, oh man, I'm a basic guy. Just a <laughs> bit of mozzarella and tomato base and I'm yeah. sweet, mate. Awesome. <laughs> what's, your, uh, what's your favorite tooth to work on? Tooth to work on? Oh, uh, tooth to work on upper six. Upper six? <laughs> How come? Yeah. You like the anatomy of it or... I like the anatomy of it. You know, it's, it's, it's a little bit more complex. You know, I think, it, it, you know, if you, it, when I'm doing a composite restoration number six and you can really, you know, make it look nice, it's, it's a bit fulfilling because yeah. it's uh, it was a bit more challenging. So, yeah. um, and you know, the access is a little bit challenging as well, but yeah, the upper six is my favorite too. Okay. So if you, um, yeah. if you had one procedure that you could do for the rest of your career and only that one procedure, what would it be? 
crowns on upper sixes. Onlay on upper six. Onlay on upper six. What's one yeah. procedure that makes you question your career choice in dentistry when you're doing it? Endodontics. Endodontics. <laughs> <laughs> no one likes endo. <laughs> I don't mind it, but uh, I had man, I had uh, I had two foul separations in one week, so I'm a bit down on endo right now. Um, I'd never yeah, had one, and then day. two in one week, so uh, yeah, not a great, not a great week. If, uh, if any of your listeners love endo, please contact me. I'm looking for an associate who wants to do endo. <laughs> I'll come do it if you don't mind the occasional uh, foul separation. <laughs> um, what's <laughs> so if you uh, if you weren't a dentist, uh, what would you be doing? If I wasn't a dentist, look, I feel as though perhaps I'd be a teacher. Hey, you know, I yeah. think, you know, based on what, you know, yeah. Uh, anyway, these are quick five questions, so I won't go into too, go into too much. Yeah. But yeah, it's just that sharing of knowledge. Yeah. Being a teacher. And um, yeah. what's your uh, what's your favorite uh, music, like musical band or artist? Oh, that's a hard one. Hey, um, I don't know. It, it always changes, mate. Yeah. I'm, I'm very impressionable <laughs> when it comes to music. I'm one of the sheep in the crowd. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so, follow whatever's trendy. Yeah, perfect. Awesome. Thanks a lot for uh, for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Hey, thank you for listening to this week's episode. I hope you got as much value from it as as I did. And as always, please reach out to me at Newbie Dentist on Instagram with any feedback or questions. I do love to hear from you guys. And if you're a fan of the show and have some you know positive things to say, please rate us on iTunes and uh, leave a review behind. And uh, that really helps the podcast grow. So thank you.